to a Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show, uh, I dare say, because we're dealing with a subject that is, I think, one on the increase, one on the rise, on the ascendance in our society. And that's the idea of being a social entrepreneur. Besides being incredibly empowering, it is a space in which we can align our values, our ethics, and our principles with this other aspect of daily living, which involves the making of money, as we say quote, unquote, not like we are a production facility and we create money, sort of like some of the banks do, but rather we, what we call, earn money. It's funny, we have a few different ways of describing this phenomenon, but intuitively, of course, we all know what it means. We have to somehow gather money to ourselves to be able to pay our rent or pay our mortgage and pay for uh, food on our table, etc., 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 school, what have you. So in our modern-day westernized society, if you don't have money, you're going to have a little bit of struggle dealing with things. Now, you don't have to make money numero uno, no, you don't have to do that. In fact, maybe it's better that no one does. But to say that it has no place would be to be blind to what is really going on and living on one's own planet, sort of like Le Petit Prince, the little prince, uh, Saint Exupéry who did live on his own planet. Well, I'm not saying that that is our goal. Even in indigenous cultures that don't know anything about the U.S. dollar, and there are probably few and far between at this point in time that that's the case, or even their local currencies of the modernizing country in which they may be residing, uh, even if they were the original residers, the original inhabitants, they most likely have some form of trade, some form of marketplace, some form of exchange between people uh, and relative value, relative worth of what it is they are doing the trading with. So there's no point in saying that there's no potential value in that, although there are different points of view on it, one of which is uh, from my friend and colleague, the esteemed Michael Tellinger, who speaks about Ubuntu from Africa. He's been on our show a couple of times, and in that, he, he posits a society that once operated without money in any way, shape, or form. And it's kind of hard to imagine we've all been so conditioned. But that, in fact, the idea of money 
and exchange came from those who used to dominate us. Well, used to. <laughs> Maybe I'm using that phrase a little too glibly. Um, those that descended, the Nephilim, so to speak, uh, according to Zechariah Sitchin's worldview and interpretation of the Old Testament itself, as well as Sumerian texts that said basically that we were invaded by another intelligent life form and we were essentially played with and hybrided so that we would be a slave race to those that were entering the Earth's sphere from another one. And they wanted, sounds typical, our gold, our silver, our platinum, and our, our goods that were inherent and organic to planet Earth. Sound familiar? You betcha. Anyway, uh, that all may be the case. It's certainly an interesting perspective, and it has uh, textual uh, merit to it. Um, and even evidence, it's something that you cannot just simply look away from as having no value because there's just actually a lot of it. However, there are a lot of things that have happened to us all individually and collectively over the course of years and millennia, and we have adapted and made the uh, what we were subject to of value to us rather than saying it's something wholly unnatural and has no place in society, we have adapted and we've made use of many things over the course of all of this time that have become a functional part and a useful part for our species. So there's no point in simply dismissing you know, we sometimes have this idea of a, a pure, original, mammalian or humanoid type of race um, or uh, species, I should say. Or, for that matter, races that have become uh, cross-fertilized with other races and we've lost some kind of in-situ, original, native um, uh organic nature of ourselves, whether that's a question of white, black, yellow, red, you name it, male, female even. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Everything is always hybriding in one way or another. So I think we can afford and should certainly abandon that kind of naive and how do I say, rather um, rather rigidified point of view that there's some idea of a pure race or a pure species for that matter. There's too much interference and too many uh, exceptions that there is virtually no rule. Almost everything is an exception and an expression of adaptation because that's how nature and that's how biology operate by way of, uh, by way of diversity 
and therefore adaptation. So you could say the more colors we have, I guess we could say the more genders we have, but certainly uh, the more variation we have among our species allows us as a species to adapt to life on the planet and have a greater survival quotient than we would otherwise have. So to kind of put that idea of purism or an ideal race or species for that matter to rest, let's do it now and move right along. So moving into the space of the idea of social entrepreneurism is this idea of how people can fathom, come to, reflect on, and uh, put together what they feel are their own values that represent the way they understand and interpret reality, to be real about it, and organize their own personal ideology, or as the uh, wonderful psychoanalyst and Zen philosopher Hubert Benoit, Dr. Hubert Benoit, the author of The Supreme Doctrine and several other excellent books back in the 50s and the 60s, would say, we all have our own personal version of metaphysics, and it is by that that we live whether we formulate it that way to ourselves in our own minds, it still stands to reason that we are all living according to our own uh, ideology, certainly, but even beyond our own form of metaphysics. Because, uh, after all, no one really knows what reality, so to speak, is all about. And maybe it is about our interpretation of it and our ability to be of service to our species and to our planet by way of, by virtue of, our interpretation. So if we interpret that we are stewards of this planet, after all, we are born from her womb through a local mother who was originally generated by an earth mother. All the myths from all over the world indicate and point a finger to that reality. In one way or another, in one language or another, one myth or another does suggest this. So with that said, you could say that we are born with a certain sense of gratitude for coming into this life through, one, our local biological mother, and two, from our collective biological mother, which is often referred to as Mother Earth, or as Gaia, or as Pachamama, all of which are some of the many names given according to respective cultures, the name of our intelligence in our mother who generates life itself on this planet through the presence of chlorophyll, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, uh, 
other, you know, airborne elements as well as the elements in the soil and water. So, hence, we are born into this world. And you could say that we have a program, I believe, and this is my interpretation, it's literally in our DNA. And if it's not in our DNA, we can actually inform our DNA and the field of epigenetics allows us to provide a scientific basis to the way we think and what we feel and how we act and the food we eat and the water we drink and the way we sleep and move and overall behave is directly influencing our genetic structure. Wow. So you mean it's not a one-way street? You mean it's not genetic determinism or for some fatalism? Uh Uh-uh. Do genes play some role in, well, our health and our illness and our longevity? You betcha. No question. Latter-day scientists say it's a whopping 5 to 8%. What? We were taught it's just the other way around, that virtually everything is genetically determined. Well, I'm telling you that through the work of such cellular biologists as Dr. Bruce Lipton, who has been on the air here numerous times over the course of many years and was originally on A Better World TV going back to 1994, when very few people, relatively speaking, knew of his work, Uh, and now it couldn't be more the opposite. He is an internationally renowned and acclaimed teacher, and he has helped to shift and enlighten the minds of hundreds of thousands, really, across the planet with his book, The Biology of Belief, and his rather intense teaching schedule and lecture schedule across the planet. He is one voice of many. Another is Joe Dispenza. Another is uh, Greg Hayden. Another, a number of people have gotten on the bandwagon, including MDs and PhDs, who, other scientists who recognize that this is a dual directive. It goes in both directions. It's a two-way street. So that's very empowering when we really think about it. So, yes, of course, genes play a role in our eye color and our hair color and our height and our width and, you know, many of our dimensionalities. But we also have a rather significant role uh, through the understanding of epigenetics and the way the whole biological system works very different than the ideas that we've had in the past. Very, i.e., radically different. I mean, it was until relatively recently that we thought we had a set number of brain cells. And once they die, that's it. Our brain is basically dying on while sitting on top of our head. Well, that's not true. We can regenerate brain cells. And now, this was a myth of science of which there are many. We didn't even realize until relatively recently, you know, in the last 100 years, 120 years or so, that washing our hands had anything to do with sanitation. And doctors 
in hospitals across Europe and America would go from delivering a baby and having blood on their hands and all other uh, liquids uh, and then go into the operating room to, you know, remove a tumor. I mean, without a thought that maybe there could be a transmission of something called a germ or other microbes. Just was not thought. It wasn't part of the scientific ethos. So it needs to be understood that science, gorgeous as it is, is also subject to the whimsy of the human mind. And inside it, just like the space of religion, it has belief systems, it has dogmas, it has protocols, whether they are scientifically based or not. Look at the political football of this thing we call global warming. You know, 80 to 95% of scientists across the world say, yeah, why are we discussing this? We have shown and demonstrated that excess carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, which gets trapped, increases heat. And at a certain point, if you increase heat, you're also going to engage its polar opposite, cool. So it's not a question of just the planet warming up. The planet, its ecosystem, I should say, and its ecosphere is simply going crazy because it has to accommodate, just like we accommodate and adapt to an atmosphere, so the ecosystem, Mother Earth's ecosystem, has to adapt to the atmosphere that in this case we humans are playing around with and reconfiguring through our, shall I put it, lifestyle choices and our fascination and being glued, obsessed with this idea of money at any cost. So therefore we poke holes in Mother Earth and we exploit her and we steal from her, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the interesting Native American and indigenous point of view across the planet is that we do not own the earth at all. It's not a commodity to be owned, but rather is our mother to be cared for, to steward, to be in service to. Very, very different idea. And this comes around to the notion I started with of social entrepreneurism. That's where I was going with this. And you can see how there are these organic threads systemically to this idea, how when a person appreciates some of the original intelligence, not all, because after all, among some people, there was cannibalism. So you don't want to be non-discerning, you want to pick and choose those items of some of the original thinking on the planet to what makes sense in our modern brains, in our modern times, in our modern minds. There's nothing wrong with picking and choosing. You know, some societies believe that, you know, a clitorectomy is okay. Or, for that matter, circumcision. Well, the more you look at it, the more odd that appears to be. So why are these practices being continued in the 21st century? I think that's a very valid and important question to ask. 
Yet, there are other aspects of indigenous thinking, if you will, that are of direct relevance to the way we relate to our Mother Earth. And we can see that our idea of possession, our idea of ownership, our idea of exploitation and the garnering of the exchange of currency, of money, at the expense of all those that could benefit from that rainforest, for instance, doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make, from the larger commons idea, the common good idea, the public good idea, it doesn't make sense even there. It only makes sense for a handful of people, relatively speaking. And it doesn't make sense there either because they are part of the species and if they are going to um, you know, rob Paul to pay Peter or just keep Peter's money for themselves as well, you are running an unsustainable society. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't feel good. Now realize that feeling good and the experience of pleasure are built-in components of the human experience. And they act as measures, as guides, as navigating tools for what is harmonious and what is not. And I'm not just talking about pleasure for the sake of pleasure. I'm saying that there is an intelligence, an emotional intelligence, if you will, spiritual intelligence that's embedded in this idea we have of feeling good and even inside pleasure. So if we're not experiencing pleasure inside our own body, I don't mean in some kind of escapist, fanciful way or through the taking of you know various substances in order to remove us some way from our direct experience of the somatic life itself. But if we stay grounded inside and allow our senses to pick up and feel and attune to what's around us, there's a whole lot of information that we are gathering that can guide us as to what makes sense for us and what does not. So that's why I very much um, favor uh, even extol the idea of feeling good, that that is a natural, organic state of being. And on the other, you know, connected to that, of course, is pleasure. And anything can, of course, go beyond the pale. You know, anything can be done in excess or deficiency, as ancient Chinese energetics teaches us, Chinese medicine. So, we want to stay by the golden mean and the golden rule. And when doing that, things just harmonize, synchronize, and we're in what is called the flow. So when we grow up, and let's say we have the imprint of how important it is to be attuned and to be in service to Mother Earth and all of her creatures, including the human one, uh, we want to then be able to generate inside our society in a way that can be harmonious with the society. And as I'm saying, you know, that's the so-called 
domain of business, whether the business is in art or it's academia or it's in science or it's in the marketplace for uh, goods and services, as they, they are called, products and services. All of it is a form of doing business, you could say. Uh, so with that said, we grow up with a series of myths, a bunch of stories that say that if you really want to make money, you're going to have to sacrifice your values and your ethics. What? You're kidding me. I don't want to do that. I remember one of my first experiences of this notion was back when I was actually in junior high school. And I had a number of friends who were really good musicians, really good. And we were kind of projecting forward as to what we were going to do in our lives. And I remember a couple of them were saying, yeah, I really want to play jazz and I really want to play this kind of rock. Uh, but I don't see it, they were saying, as commercially viable. I'm probably going to have to get a job doing some studio work, playing for some pop singer that is making music that I'm not into just so I can pay the bills. That is a kind of a standard idea, myth I'm saying, that's in our society. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't have any validity. It sure does. I'm positing that there is a way to stay true to one's own calling and through diligence and through persistence and through discipline and through creativity and through resourcefulness, one can emerge the victor. And if one emerges the victor by following one's own heart and sticking, staying true to one's values, everyone also is the victor. It becomes a win-win paradigm and situation. Is that cool? It's cool. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. We're on every Wednesday and at other times throughout the week at 6 p.m. New York time. And if you do not yet get our newsletter, please do go sign up for it at our website, www.abetterworld.tv. Abetterworld.tv. It's over on the right-hand column. And we are a non-profit organization, a 501c3. So if you are at all feeling moved by what it is you hear and want to hear more, then please help us out if you are of a mind to and of a heart to, to make a donation to us to help us stay on the air and to not only sustain but to thrive. And you'll find a donate button. If you would, do it it's through PayPal, through family and friends. That would be so appreciated of any size. It's all fine, and it all contributes to our ability to provide media and some of our other services. So uh, with that said, uh, let me continue on with this idea. I was recently at a uh, social impact conference right here in Times Square on a very high floor. It was a wonderful gathering of some pretty hardcore finance people, not typically the group I would be kind of 
hanging out with, but I was invited and I was very pleased and honored to have been invited to this conference for me to learn through another window what is going on. I myself am more ensconced in the actual uh, what's going on with the planet, how is the water, where are we getting the electricity, uh, what are we doing to our soil, and what can I do about it? Oh, my God, there's this amazing technology from Scandinavia that cleans up water like no one's business. It helps to preserve and recycle water 90-plus percent in any number of different contexts from fishing and fish farms to farming to uh, any number of agricultural contexts, even washing cars, a car wash restaurants, homes, you name it, it reuses water. The possible benefit to the planet from that is inestimable. Here we have drought-ridden, drought-prone regions of our world everywhere and growing, and we can help to solve this water crisis through the diligent use of technology. So, uh, yes, I am involved in spreading that word through media. I am involved in seeking to introduce uh, certain companies to those that have a global presence. So this technology can really take root in continents across the planet. Uh, just as an example, I'm involved in renewable energies, i.e., if we do not have battery storage, we cannot have a solar, a solarized and windmilled planet because if we cannot store the energy that's generated during the day at night, it's not going to work. We're going to get up to a certain point and not be able to go on and flourish. So, yes, I'm working on a project that would help to bring uh, a, a very natural form of battery storage across the planet, starting in drought-ridden countries as well, regions, because there's also the opportunity to um, have a stream of desalinated water coming off the big, rather massive structure, the battery storage structure. So it's both an energy and renewable energy and a uh, water desalination and purification process built into one, two for the price of one, basically. You know, so I'm sort of, I could say, hands-on in the work that A Better World does in these venues. Um, but in this case, it's taking a step back and looking at how money flows into venues of this sort or into mutual funds or other green or what are called ESG funds, environment, social, governance. That's the name the, the big boy business world has called it. They don't call it so much um, green investing anymore. They call it impact investing and essentially ESG, social investing. So hence we get a phrase like social entrepreneur. So what does all this mean? Well, it means that there is a major upsurge 
in the interest in photons. That's right. Solar panels are being made so relatively inexpensively. Yes, it's true, primarily in China, but not only in China, also Korea, also in Europe, also in the United States. They are proliferating, and the rate at which they are proliferating is making them cheaper than oil, even with oil's barrel price at a virtually all-time low. Still in all, going solar is becoming not only viable, it's been viable, but it's becoming the way of choice for so many reasons, even economically. It makes more sense to do solar than it does to be hooking up natural gas from usually a fracked field or oil that costs so much to get it from point A to point B with so many dangers and hazards and toxins and destroying water tables. I mean, when you line it up, Apples to apples and oranges to oranges, the green movement, the renewable energy movement, wins hands down. Now, are there pockets still remaining in our world where that doesn't make as great economic sense as I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saudi Arabia probably. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Even there, because it's a desert, they are harvesting a fraction of the energy. They're focusing on just what's underground because they're accustomed to it. But if they were to focus on what's above ground, meaning the sun, far above ground, we're talking about a whole different thing. We're talking about an amount, a volume of energy That could also be exported, by the way. That I'm going to say would make them long-term much richer than they already are. And that's not my goal, to make the Saudis richer, because they're one of the most barbaric and primitive cultures and societies on the planet. I'm very sorry to say they are in need of major upgrade from the reptilian brain to the prefrontal cortex and have to be shown that they... There is a heart in there, too. This is a biological and psychological, ultimately spiritual matter that has nothing to do with the belief systems they have attributed to Islam. And I put it that way very specifically, that there is merit in Islam. And the Wahhabi perspective does serious damage to it. Sorry to say, I don't want it to be that way but there are psychological and psychoanalytic reasons that people behave in such primitive ways. And we will find that cross-culturally. That is not limited at all. We will find that right here in the U.S. of A. So I'm not confused. This is not just culture or region-specific. It's everywhere to varying degrees. And thankfully, there are people everywhere in Saudi Arabia and elsewhere that are utterly beautiful and brilliant and free thinking and uh, creative and with a lot of heart. 
problem is that we just get conditioned. We get programmed. We got programmed to think that we need oil. And we should be going into the depths of Mother Earth and pulling out fossil fuels. And they're called fossil fuels because it's taken millions of years to form the stuff we call oil from fossils that are going through a process very naturally, um, that the earth needs for herself. It's not necessarily there for us to extract, but for us to receive light from the sun is happening everywhere all the time. Now, if you want to talk about harvesting that, distinct from going and drilling and hurting and harming and polluting, etc., got a very, very different paradigm. In fact, I've never quite put it this way, but it's a distinction between yang and yin, uh, and both have their dark side, and both have their light side. Well, to be yin is, in a sense, to be receptive, and I'm suggesting that the receptive nature of that feminine quality of opening and receiving from the yang quality of the sun soul, solar, is a very healthy thing for Mother Earth, distinct from a yang activity of drilling and penetrating into her womb so we can extract her fluids. You see what I mean? Just think aesthetically for a moment. Just think aesthetically. What's best? Does that mean I don't like penetration? No, it doesn't mean that at all. I'm saying there's a time and a place and an attitude and an intention which makes penetration utterly, completely brilliant and uh, appropriate and other times when it's self-serving. You get it? And the way we go about these things is very, very important the attitude, the motivation, as the Buddhists would remind us, is every bit as important as the action itself. Now you tell me, deforesting the Amazon or the Congo rainforests, the lungs of the earth, what's the good common good of that? Huh? You know, it's going to make a handful of people rich. So uh, another handful of people can have beautiful wood furniture in their homes or build their homes out of such wood. Or the clearing of lands for, uh, for cattle grazing or for soya farming to feed the cattle. However you put it, it's massively destructive. And today's show is really to show that there are other ways to live in harmony with the planet, be of service to her, be of service to one another, in what is called the social entrepreneur's way. And at base, it has respect for all of Earth's elements. We call them resources, but that kind of already has a bend to it that those resources are somehow for us at everyone else's expense. And I would definitely argue that one down. I would say that this is part of the abundance, the abundance of Mother Earth, which is 
offering this to all of her sentient life, all of the species, not just to those that walk around with a bigger brain, because I just don't think that that is true. So let me come all the way around to some very practical things. There's a new kind of corporation. Actually, it's been around for some years now, and I've made reference to it surely on this show, called the B Corporation. It stands for a benefit corporation. And yes, we have the C Corporation and the S Corporation, and they have perfectly fine functions uh, that allow people to make money and have a charter and have shareholders and have stakeholders and pass money through and do all sorts of fun things and even, you know, have uh, become a public company. Um, So many people can participate in the ebb and the flow of the company. You know, on paper, it's a fantastic thing. I love the idea that everybody could have a, a piece and, you know, share in the development of the economy um, and its prosperity. You know, it's got lots of good features. But what has happened is that old reptilian brain, that addictive reptilian brain no less, uh, doesn't play it that way. It doesn't have that air of generosity that I believe it originally started out with. It, It starts to constrict It starts to get addicted to more is better and more that is mine is better. And I'm saying this is a pathology. This is a pathology of affluence. It's a pathology of our system. And it doesn't have to be that way. We have internal work to do. It's not the system itself, I think, that is so polluted. It's become polluted. I don't think the problem is so much the system although many would argue with me. I think it has more to do with our internal system, our inner ecology and psychology that has polluted the outer system and rendered it at this point dysfunctional. For instance, if we have a president who thinks that the Justice Department is there to serve him, just as an example, it just simply means he does not understand the three branches of government and the way they are designed by the founding fathers, who were influenced by the founding mothers, by the way, that's rarely mentioned, um, to have an egalitarian and a system of checks and balances. We all learned that. That's how this democracy and republic are supposed to operate. One keeps a check on the other. So power does not concentrate in any one branch. Yet... We see people who don't seem to understand it, one of whom is at the head of the executive branch right now. And it's throwing the system into a tizzy. It doesn't mean that the system can't work or doesn't work. It means that it's being tested right now because someone is trying to throw it off and not respect the rule of law or respect the brilliance in the constitutional structure. So we have work to do. Nature abhors a vacuum, and nature seeks homeostasis. Nature seeks balance. So I'm talking about creating balance in the business world. How many times have I said it is business that has driven us to the brink of disaster, i.e., this whole issue of global warming, 
of parts per million in our atmosphere of carbon dioxide, utterly overwhelming our ecosystem and creating the death of thousands of species, the extinction of thousands and thousands of species, I would say, um, prematurely. It has caused the death of untold number of children who are dying of respiratory ailments and illnesses all over the planet because of some very roughshod decisions made back in the teens and the 20s by the Rockefellers and the Fords. Do you know that Ford originally had an electric motor? Yes. Do you know that J.P. Morgan squashed and thwarted the brilliant work of Tesla because he couldn't make money at it, or certainly the money he wanted to make? Now, there's a fair profit, moderate profit, a wonderful idea I've been promulgating forever. But no, no, that's not the way things work. That's not the way things work. It appears that humans want only everything for themselves. And they hoard it and they covet it. And other people can just die. So the highway system in the United States got set up because the Rockefellers were making big money in oil through Standard Oil down in Brazil and the rest of South America. And then, of course, later elsewhere. And that, of course, later became uh, Exxon, etc., etc. But, like, why? If you could have an electric car that didn't need gas, which doesn't pollute, not in the same way, the battery is a real issue and maintain, re, remains an issue. By the way, I'm not naive about that. But Tesla has a better idea than them all. He figured out a way of harnessing magnetism to generate transportation. And, of course, he came up with AC electricity as well, which, by the way, wasn't, even though we run our society on it today, wasn't the finest of his ideas. He had other ways of generating energy and electricity that got buried for lots of reasons. We're not going to go into that right now. But I want to bring up that Tesla has been regenerated, if you will, reincarnated in Tesla Motors. Well, that's only one tiny, tiny fraction of what Tesla actually invented in his own lifetime. But at least we are keeping the name alive and in front of people's eyeballs. So if they are interested, they can do a little Googling or so and look up, just put the word Nikolai in front of Tesla. See what you find. It's very thrilling. So we're at no loss of technology today to do remarkable things. Most of the technology that would really pull us out of the straitjacket we're currently in with our environment cannot be brought forward because of this reptilian functioning. However, however, it is leaking out. Sound familiar? It is leaking out from the highest houses, and it is entering, many of these are entering the marketplace. They have to be a little diligent. They have to be a little crafty, but and they have to include some of the big players in some cases so that they don't get squashed 
at the beginning, um, but it is happening, and there is a collective call for a change. So, for instance, I'll be part of, and a better world will be part of, a conference taking place out in Boulder, Colorado, on November 7th through 9th, with At The Epicenter. You can look that up if you'd like. At The Epicenter. Dot com. We're going to have a film festival as well preceding the conference. The conference is all about soil. The conference is all about dirt and how to take care of dirt so we can generate healthy food, organic food, in a way that feeds our bodies in ways that our bodies as temples can be of highest service to our planet, and to each other. So, are there jobs in there? Is there space for the entrepreneur in there? You betcha. Let's look at what's happening even with marijuana and CBD oil. It's being recognized again, a hundred years later, as having therapeutic medicinal properties. I'll be. Mother Nature did that for us? I'm shocked. What about astragalus? What about the Chinese pharmacopoeia? What about the European pharmacopoeia? What about the South American and the North American pharmacopoeias where we have been using plants and herbs forever? The African pharmacopoeia, the Australian Aboriginal pharmacopoeia. It's everywhere. That's our relationship to the plant world. Eat, drink the plants, and they will feed you and nourish you in specific for certain imbalances and illnesses as well as simply for the um, profile of nutrition that we all need every single day. It comes out of the soil. So honoring the soil and taking good care of the soil is to take care of Mother Earth. And there is a, a veritable plethora of farm-to-table restaurants popping up all over the world, let alone the country of the United States. But I know many of you are listening from other countries, and you know it's happening right in your own backyard, as well it should. It's cool, and it's happening more and more, and it will continue to happen more and more, as the large chemical companies, the big ag companies, are losing their steam. People don't want to deal with them. They have amazing greenwashing campaigns and spend hundreds of millions of dollars to perpetuate their agenda, but it's at the expense of everyone else. And we far outnumber them. So the social entrepreneur, I'm saying, with a little bit of creativity and a little bit of guts, can really make a go of it. And so, as I said before, it's business that has brought us to the brink of literal species extinction. But it's also business, enlightened business, that can bring us back. Because all business is, is a bunch of people. And when people get together with a common cause, a common value system, and they decide to play together, yes, that's right, play together, and cooperate together, and work together, 
work is sacred. It's beautiful. And when work is done in a team effort, it becomes playful. It's, so this, my friends, is what all generations, especially the younger generations, really have to look forward to. They should repudiate, repudiate business as usual. It's harmful and it's largely destructive. And here and now, perhaps like no other time, we have the opportunity, truly a beautiful moment in history, to be creative and create your own bandwagon. And in fact, in the United States, our tax system is actually set up to support the entrepreneur. It is not set up for the worker. It penalizes the worker with rather heavy taxes and no deductions. Whereas it is now, and I'm actually not so much in favor of this structure. No, I am not. But for the entrepreneur, at the current moment, it is a dream come true. So I'm really, really suggesting that people think about this And they get on that bandwagon with a few friends and think through what the world needs. So many people say, I don't know what to do. I like this and I like that and I like doing this and I like doing that. Well, that's all well and good. And if you find something you like that could be of service to the larger whole, go for it. In my counseling and my coaching with people, I also suggest this. Step outside of yourself and take a look from above, from an elevated place, from a helicopter position at the world and see what it is the world needs. See what the world needs. Oh, my God. There's this horror called human trafficking. It's going on all over. There's a sex slave, you know, uh, stuff going on all over poor people these poor women I, I don't know what to do and they need money to feed their families or their parents and they are sold literally into slavery and uh it's just one of the saddest things we've got we've got climate refugees happening syria is largely a climate refugee issue uh, uh, the South Pacific Islands are becoming more and more that because the sea levels are rising because of melting glaciers. I mean, it just goes on and on. You can look at just growing food in your local habitat. Where you live, you don't have to move, you don't have to fly, you don't have to do anything. Just think about the cultivation of the soil. Um, among other things, I'm dealing with a, a certain kind of lawn seed, a combination of a lawn seed, which sequesters carbon at four to eight times the rate of ordinary lawns. What a funny thing. Because of uh, uh, almost a million dollars spent in R&D to cultivate the specific seed and proportional seed combinations. So that by doing something as growing organic food, or even a lawn, could be helping tremendously with reducing 
uh, carbon dioxide in the air and sequestering it in the ground where it belongs. So I'm saying that we are replete with possibilities, my friends, just taking care of people in natural ways, alternative medicine. I mean, wherever you look, I'm suggesting, is a plethora opportunity to make a difference in the world, contribute to the world, and make money at the same time. It's limited only by your imagination. So, that's today's show. I hope you enjoyed that and can apply some of these thoughts to your own lives, if they you find they do apply, or if you want to just venture out into a sideline. There are things such as network marketing where you don't have to buy a thing except for a couple of products and have enough ambition to uh, go forward with some of these products or services. They're out there. And we have several of them right here at A Better World. We believe that is a great democratic, egalitarian method of spreading the wealth. I think it's fantastic. It takes nerve. It takes courage. It takes persistence. And takes, you know, really feeling good about the products or services. And, uh, of course, we do here. And we, you know, managed to generate something for our bottom line that helps us stay on the air and to sustain. So I want to just thank you all for your time and attention. I'd ask you to take this link and forward it to your friends and family who may be looking for some inspiration about what's next in their lives or if they are living at home and saddled with a large student debt, I'm saying don't even wait for finding a job. Go make one. (laughs) If you're waiting, you could be waiting for a long time in this odd economy where many people are being replaced by AI or robots anyway. So carve a place out for yourself. Again, please join our newsletter if you're not on it yet already at abetterworld.tv. If you want any of my services of coaching and consulting or letter writing, there are a number of them which you'll see described at www.mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com. And tell your friends, I love the fact that we've got an international following. Men and women, young and old, it's fantastic. That's the way, folks, we're going to create a better world. So thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. 